0: Bienvenue dans Flowers, Welcome to Flowers by Kenzo,
1: by Kenzo Parfum. Parfum. This podcast et seeks out j'ai committed j'ai flower fleur, experts working towards a sustainable végétales. and fair life with plants for a more beautiful world. Je suis I'm Nolene
2: Serda.
1: Large-scale conventional floriculture and imports by air have a real impact on our environment. They require transportation that pollutes, the use of chemical products, and lead to the loss of cultural and natural heritage. Today, young horticulturalists have given themselves a mission to apply and make people discover a gentle and respectful cultivation of flowers. It's the Slow Flower Movement, a local cultivation of flowers respecting their seasonality for a more ethical consumption. The Slow Flower Movement has become Massami Charlotte Lavaux's work philosophy. Massamy Charlotte is an activist flower farmer, founder of Plenaire, the first flower farm in Paris. Since 2022, Massamy Charlotte has been an ambassador for Flower by Kenzo. Inspiring and inspired, every day she works towards a more beautiful world. Fundamental values shared by Kenzo Parfum. With this in mind, I have accompanied her to meet people who work, each in their own way, for a living flower, and who inspire her in her daily work. For the first episode of this series, recorded at the beginning of winter, a time when the living need to rest, I am taking you to Misami's farm, a place she has named Planair, to understand the connection she keeps with everything that lives on her farm.
2: <laughs> so we are on my farm in Paris. It's in the northeast part of Paris so it's it's really high up actually. So we're like 129 meters above the sea level. So it sounds like nothing but it's actually quite a lot for Paris and If you come here by back, you'd notice because you'd be out of breath. And it's a really interesting part of Paris because right next to us, like right in front, we have this um, water. It's a huge water tank, actually, but it's like it's a water reservoir. And it's the actual water that the Parisian people drink. So it's a very strategic place. And... It needs to be so high up because it really is how the water system still works in Paris, like through gravity. And what I really love about this high up place is that it's called Telegraph, like the meter station. It's the first, like the first Telegraph in, I think, in the world's history has been built here. So it's a place from which a lot of very early messages have been sent. And I think it's a very poetic thing to... And No. And also, um, so you've had to cross a cemetery to come here. It used to scare me a lot. Like when I realized that I had to uh, go through that cemetery every day to go to work, I was like, wow, this is so super sad, actually. Like, I don't want to do that every day. And then I realized it's actually super joyful. Because in our society, like, and right now, now at our times, like death is being hidden. It's being hidden behind the doors of hospitals, behind the doors of uh, elderly homes. But death, you know, it's, I mean, it's really a part of life. And growing flowers right next to a cemetery, I think, is amazing because it's growing life right next to one of the big steps of life. Which is death. So um, the farm is quite small, it's only 1200 square meters. So it's really small in terms of like farming surface. It's super small, but for one single grower, it's more than enough. Um, and I work here mainly alone. So I'm really proud and happy to be here. I always say that it's the best office in Paris. This is the last Ah oui, il est tout, euh, pop, pop, pop. mais c'est le dernier d'Alia et c'est un café au lait, c'est son nom. Bien souvent, on a la sensation que, par exemple, le métier de fleuricultrice ou d'agriculteur en général, c'est d'être vraiment hyper proche de la nature, d'être enfin, euh, dans une sorte de naturalité complète, mais c'est loin d'être le cas. Et d'ailleurs, dans le mot même agriculture, c'est dedans, quoi. il y a culture. Et on est loin, loin, loin d'être dans des milieux euh, intouchés. quoi. You know, I'm here, I've been here for five years now, and I've been growing thousands of flowers. You know, people always say, well, you're working alone, it must be so, it's a bit sad, and and I'm always answering, it's not sad, I'm surrounded by flowers. Around me and around us right now, we have around, like, 20,000 or even 30,000 plants I've planted myself, and probably about a million of, like, wild, spontaneous flower uh, plants. So, we're surrounded we're not alone here and that's only the plant part of the fungi and all the insects and all the bacteria and all the animals so we're really surrounded and it's amazing to feel that in the city. Ce champ, il a vraiment plein de zones <coughs> comme des micro-zones climatiques dans plein d'endroits différents et donc en cinq ans donc depuis que je suis arrivé ici, j'ai pu tester la culture de I'm half French and half Japanese, and I think it's quite fun because it's really the two, uh, two countries that are really linked. Uh, with fermentation, I know it's a weird way to introduce myself, but I'm very proud to come from the countries where we produce miso and uh, soy sauce and sake, which are fermented products, and also uh, bread and wine and cheese. And why is that important? Because in the way I grow flowers, I use a lot of fermented solutions and fermented liquids and fermented products to um, enhance the power of the soil. So I think it's quite an important part of myself. And also, um, I used to be an industrial designer. So about 10 years ago, I was working at the studio in London, which was a great studio, by the way, but still, and we were supposed to design leather accessories, and we had to work at a very fast pace. And so one day, I was asked to design a like a a traveling bag for men. And so I designed the bag super quickly, like maybe, you know, I spent 20 minutes at most on it. And then I handed it to my boss. And just out of curiosity, I just asked, hey, how many bags can we make out of one cowhide? And he thought, like, you know, for a minute, and said, "Maybe I don't know, like maybe one bag. And I was like, Wow. So I knew that this bag would be producing tens of thousands of of copies, and so I, I you know, I really realized the, like, the very direct consequence of my work that several thousands of cows would be used to produce those bags. And so I really switched like super quickly, like really from one day to another. I decided to go work on farms, and it was the best decision of my life. <laughs> Where did you go? So on a whim, really, like, really one day from another, I quit all my jobs because I had three jobs in three different studios. And I left and flew to Morocco. I worked there on a biodynamic farm, amazing farm, super nice. And I ended the season in Wales. I mean, on the Welsh border in the UK on another Biodynamic farm, also amazing. And then I went to Japan, um, not to visit my family, but really to work on farms with people I absolutely didn't know. And I went to Okinawa, which is in the south of Japan, very specific place with a very specific climate because it's tropical. Also worked on organic farms there. All these like farming travels were such um, really like an upheaval in my life. I realized. That And, you know, a few weeks after after this, um, the bag accident, as I call it, um, I went to Morocco and I worked on that biodynamic farm. And in biodynamic farms, cows have a very specific status, like they're almost sacred, because we use their excretion quite a lot uh, in biodynamic preparations and where they were drying horns of cows that, that died like on, on the farm. And they were keeping it to be able to use them for years and years and years to come. You know, it was such a relief because it was exactly... The opposite. It's the opposite, yeah. It's the opposite, but it's the positive opposite. And that's what's so amazing for me in farming.
0: Why did you choose to, to work in, in
2: plant world? plants for me they're like the queens of the world like it's it's um we don't really realize it but maybe the the table you are having breakfast on you know maybe it's wood and maybe the clothes you're wearing right now maybe it's cotton or or linen or um and even if it's uh wool you know it comes from sheep who have been feeding on plants and even if you eat a lot of meat it's still animals that have been feeding on plants so However we look at it, like a lot of our material culture comes from plants. And even if it's plastic or, um, or oil, you know, it still is organic matter and plant matter that has been decaying and fossilizing, uh, you know, with the pressure of, of the earth, you know. So it's, it's still some kind of vegetable life. So I, I really love this idea of being in touch with what, counts the most for us, you know. Even the air that we breathe, it's, it's you know, it's a fart <laughs> from a plant because it's really the byproduct of uh, photosynthesis. It's uh, and a little bit of water and a little bit of sun energy, and they transform that into food, into their own food. And they're the only beings on the planet who can do that, who have the ability to do that, and it's a miracle. Um, it's really as if I would be able to produce inside my own body potatoes and pasta and bread just by breathing air and absorbing water through my skin. So it's it's really a miracle and we don't pay enough attention to that miracle. And working every day with those miracle beings is, I mean, sounds really, really like naive, but it's really a blessing. And these past two years, we've heard a lot about essential activities and what's essential or not. And plants are essential. And working with plants, I think, is very, very essential. And there's an emergency to reconnect with that, like, as soon as we can. So that's why I work with plants. <laughs> I try to cultivate a rapport, not too bulldozer with this field. But it's very difficult to be an agriculteur et de pas trop intervenir parce qu'il y a un vrai équilibre à, à tenir entre euh, l'économie enfin moi je dois vivre de ce travail là et euh, la vie des autres êtres en fait mais bon c'est je pense que c'est la question de l'humanité
0: And how do you work in order to respect the the plants and the environment?
2: You know, like 90% of the flowers of cut flowers that we find in shops at least here in France they're imported from Ecuador from from Kenya from Ethiopia from Israel so and importing stuff per se is not bad but it's just like you know it's i mean flowers are highly fresh produced, so you have to keep it fresh so you transport it by cargo plane like refrigerated cargo planes and then refrigerated uh, trucks and there's this whole cold chain that you need to maintain so there's obviously a very large carbon footprint that is induced by transport, like by transportation of flowers. But we, like, flowers are really thirsty beings. You need a lot of, of water to grow them. And so um, in Kenya, for example, just for rose growing, uh, there's a whole lake, like the Lake Naivaisa, that is being destroyed just to irrigate flowers. Um, And so that's water resource. The water resource is a very, very big black point in in flower growing. But then there's also um, all the chemicals that we use. We use about 100 times more chemicals on on flower growing than in regular food growing. Just because, you know, it's under the radar, like no one, because no one eats them or barely no one eats them. You don't really need to pay attention to the levels of chemicals, obviously for the environment in the direct like, vicinity of those flower fields, but also for the people who apply those. who have been producing flowers for about 20 or 30 years now. And in the older production countries, so like France or um, many countries in no- Northern Europe, there's a human cost because, you know, all these old flower farms... Um, they cannot compete with like, these international prices and the extreme efficiency of, um, of these imported flowers. I worked on a farm in Japan, in Okinawa, where I've learned to, how to harness the power of microorganisms it's a bit like, you know, when you when you're sick and you get uh antibiotic like antibiotics prescribed, then you you'll take this medicine and it might destroy like all your um gut flora and it's a bit like, you know, the soils that we the soil that we walk on and the soil that we work with, we have to imagine that they've been taking antibiotics for about 50 years. Um and you know, maybe a good doctor would like counter-prescribe you probiotics to counter the effects of the antibiotics. And that's why I, what I try to do with my soil. Like on the farm, I try to use as many probiotics as I can to take care of my soil. And by doing that, I take care of the plants and I take care of all the animals that live on the soil. And indirectly, I take care of um, other living beings so and I do that by using EM so that's effective microorganisms it's this method that I've um, learned to use in Okinawa um, on this amazing farm I worked on sunshine farm and so I'm really weekly or biweekly. weekly I, I spray this uh, fermented solution all over the farm like and it's really good for the skin, by the way. <laughs> and I don't have to use efficient way to work softly with plants. I do everything by hand. Um, I don't really brag about this because I can do that just because my farm is super small. On bigger farms, it's just not even an option. Like, you don't do it by hand just because you can't and because you don't want to. You don't want to exhaust yourself and you don't want to exhaust your team. Qui est très chouette, c'est qu'il y a donc d'autres animaux qui m'apportent euh, des plantes. Il y a le vent qui m'apporte beaucoup de plantes aussi. Il y a plein de petites graines donc, qui sont affublées de petites ailettes pour pouvoir se déplacer avec le vent. Et il y a euh, plein de graines qui sont en dormance, donc c'est une très jolie idée. C'est euh, la dormance, c'est euh, les graines qui se disent Ok, en ce moment il n'y a pas les conditions idéales pour ma sortie. <rire> Donc je vais attendre qu'il y ait un peu plus d'eau, un peu plus de lumière, un peu plus de chaleur. Et ce jour-là, je je mettrai mes habits de lumière et je vais germer. Mais euh, il y a des graines qui peuvent rester en dormance pendant des décennies ou des centaines d'années, voire même des millénaires. Donc ici, sous nos pieds, il y a ce qu'on appelle un stock de graines en dormance, qui est probablement équivalent à des milliards, des dizaines de milliards de graines. Qui, qui datent d'il y a hyper longtemps ou pas et qui vont germer euh, au fur et à mesure du temps, le jour elles auront trouvé leurs bonnes conditions et du coup il y a plein de plantes spontanées donc, que je pourrais ne pas aimer comme les ce qu'on appelle les mauvaises herbes mais aussi plein de plantes potagères notamment qui sortent de je sais pas où parce que j'ai jamais euh, semé de plantes potagères ici qui sortent parce que euh, tout d'un coup euh, c'est la bonne année quoi. Enfin, moi je me sens jamais toute seule ici et je suis clairement pas du tout la seule agente J'aime vraiment bien cette idée là.
0: The notion of, of time is very important for you and even when you speak, you know, uh, you you take your time and I love it. Um so this notion of time you you can find it in the slow flower trend. Um what is it?
2: Um, so we use even in French we we say slow flour uh, which is fun because French people usually frenchify everything um but we use that because you know it's so very linked to slow food and to this whole movement of eating more consciously and growing food at a normal pace and taking care of how you cook stuff and it's you know in comparison or in opposition to fast food so we've We're living currently in the era of fast flowers. You know, like we we import flowers in a few hours or in a few days from Kenya or from Israel, from Ethiopia, from Ecuador, from from Colombia to Europe. And we do that on a daily basis. And it's like millions of stems every day. And it's extremely fast-paced because flowers are an extremely fresh produce. So you have to move it quickly. And what I try to do and what a lot of people in Europe or in many, many parts of the world are trying to do is grow flowers, normal flowers. You know, it's not so much slow flowers, it's just like normal flowers. And it's just flowers that have not been boosted by chemicals and that we haven't, um, you know, pushed to grow when we want them to grow and how we want them to grow from the other you know, other side of the world, like, obviously we're supporting business in other parts of the world that also need business, so it's it's good somehow, but we also might destroy the business that we could <laughs> maintain in our regions or in our towns or in our villages, and we're endangering the, you know, historical structure of of our countries. And so... And the economical historical structure of our countries, and I think there's something really beautiful in the fact that you can support your local farmer and support your local flower grower and and still, by doing that, you're also supporting the whole planet, you know, and that's so easy, kind of i mean it's it could be easy it's not made easy by the current system, but it could be easy. <laughs> Que ça ressemble
0: à des, des longs.. Comment on peut décrire ça des... des pompons. Des pompons. Des longs pompons fuchsia. Ouais. D'ailleurs la couleur est surprenante euh, vu qu'autour c'est surtout du jaune, de
2: l'orangé. Et là on a ce fuchsia. Alors ça c'est très mignon aussi, c'est une amarante Et c'est une amarante qui est donc une graine qui est restée en dormance. Et que je sais pas, elle s'est dit cette année, c'est, c'est mon année. <rire> et puis elle s'est déplacée d'ailleurs parce que la zone d'amarrante, elle était a ah, bien.. Euh... 20 mètres de là. Puis quand même, je travaille toute seule, enfin en tant que humain, je travaille toute seule ici. Donc je sais pas, ça me fait comme de la compagnie, <laughs> mais mais c'est très agréable. So you can actually find like hundreds of different flowers on my field, um, which is way too much, like like usually. Flower traditional flower farms they grow at most maybe ten different species, which is enough, you know. And I grow two hundred and fifty of them, which is a bit stupid, because it's like having two hundred and fifty kids. You don't want to do that, like you know. Each um, each species has their own rhythm, their own needs, their own water needs, their own you know. Everything is very specific. Um, so I have to cater to the specific needs of 250 different beings. So it's a, it's a lot of work. But I, I kind of chose that because I want to be able to offer to my clients when they visit the farm, you know, almost at all times during the year, they can find at least 10 or 20 different flowers or f- types of foliage and I think it's a great advantage for me because I can, you know, it's it's like having a a permanent flower shop um, where you can find everything. Not in huge quantities, but you can find a little bit of everything. And when you're a local farmer, I think it's a great asset. Yeah, because you're really like the little local shop where you can find a little bit of everything. And I think it's a very nice idea. Tend to grow flowers that are very quick-lived, like some flowers just cannot be transported, like they would not survive it and because they just bloom for three days and then they're done. So, you know, flowers like poppies or um you know, all kind of herbs. Also, you know, flowers that smell a lot, um, smell good because it's a criteria that's been kind of taken away from the requirements of a contemporary flower. For example, you know, all the flowers that we grow currently by humans so that they can fit to very specific criteria like uh, the size of the flower head and then the length of the stem and then the thickness of the stem and then the vase life after uh, harvest. All those criteria have been the highest priority for um, plant engineering. And one of the criteria that's been kind of taken away from that required um, set is the smell. Through the decades of engineering, they've lost their perfume. And I think that's a pity. And very often, people who come to my farm and buy the flowers, you know, they smell the flowers and they're like, and they. They're very happy that they actually smell something, you know. Um, And many, many clients come to the farm and say, hey, this carnation, it really smells like a carnation. And it really reminds me of the garden of my grandmother or my grandfather. And it's such a strong memory for me. And it's such a big, big point for growing flowers. For example, I'm super fond of herbs. Like, it's... um, it's a really cool addition to a bouquet when you can add mint or sage or um, catmint or um, agastache. All these herbs, they add, like, something very powerful in terms of smell to a bouquet. And so it's one of the things that I really focus on. Um, and, yeah, finding perfume again... In flowers, I think it's something very important for us, for us local farmers, um, because it's really one of our big advantages uh, compared to fast flowers.
0: Do you have a favourite one?
2: Mm, people often ask me that, but I always answer that no, I don't have any favourite flower because... Flower farming is a really slow-paced operation. Like it takes about nine months from seed to flower. So some of the plants will flower within six months, and other, I'm still waiting for them. You know, it's been three years that I've planted them, and I'm still waiting for them. So on average, you wait nine months, and that's really it's like a pregnancy, really. You know, uh, it's a plant-human pregnancy. And so, you know, every time I see the first flower of a species at the farm, I'm super happy because it's like meeting an old friend that I haven't seen for a year. So, you know, it's a, it's a feast each time. So I don't have any favorite friend. <laughs> How do you see the, the future of, uh, of farm flowers? Uh, to be fair, the future of flower farming in France, at least, is quite bleak. In our region, so in it's called the Île de France, but so the region around Paris, it's it, like historically it's been a huge, like huge flower growing spot for two centuries at least, and we've had like hundreds and hundreds of, of flower farms here, and within the past. 10 years, approximately 50% of the flower farms in our region have closed. More like broadly, in France, we have a big problem, and that's the, that's the same all over Europe. We have a big problem. It's um, 60% of farmers are over 50. So that means that in in maximum 10 years, we'll have this big problem of, farmers, old farmers, needing to retire and with no one taking over. The big challenge for us, I think, for the new, like, the youngest generation of farmers is to make sure that this job still looks attractive and still, you know, attract uh, young people or not-so-young people who are very interested by that. And so I think for us... The main focus should be on maintaining our farms, obviously, but then also sharing the knowledge and also saving the knowledge. All this knowledge is kind of encapsulated in these old farmers. It really should not die with them. And also, um, yeah, we need to transmit like the desire for farming and we need to keep the flowers alive, <laughs> really. Well, your work is very
0: powerful and it brings awareness to people that... Being aware that those flowers need to be um, respected. Thank you very much, mm-hmm. Masami.
1: <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Flowers, the Kenzo Perfumes podcast. You can find the series on all your podcast platforms. In the next episode of Flowers, we will be meeting with Edvige Moiroux, a plant geneticist at the University of Cambridge. My name is Nolene Cerda, and Flowers, the Kenzo Perfumes podcast, is produced by Louis Creative. Masami, Charlotte, Laveau, and I have co-written this episode. Camille Bichler is in charge of production, along with Kenza elal Oc. Charles de Cilia is on sound production, and Eve Ganot was responsible for the sound recording. The original music was composed by Marine Kemeri.